In this episode of Josh Reads Other People's Published Poetry, I'm going to read three, The Porcelain Psychologist by Clive James, from his collection of poems, Gate of Lilacs, a verse commentary on Proust. Three, The Porcelain Psychologist. In real life, the young Proust sat at the feet of Law Heyman, the demimonde princess who educated Dukes. His gift to her perhaps presented to her tete-a-tete in her boudoir, not at her salon, was a fashionable novel bound in silk from one of her own petticoats. For him, my little porcelain psychologist, she might have put out, but more likely not. The Marcel in the book is much less given to the routinely exquisite, as if the author feared his early reputation for posturing might stick. Instead, he speaks as the all-wise anatomist of love, even when passion's victim. Not a hint from him of how the little band of girls were boys and how Andrea and Albertine were not the girlfriends of the cyclists. They were the cyclists, if only in the sense that they were strong young men, though not, in fact, the population of the velodromes. They were the sons of the high bourgeois and the gentry relaxing in Coburg from the rigors of their overprivileged lives. They were like him, but he was not like them. His poor health made him frail while they ran free. Since any object of his young desire he would imagine rather than approach, he found it easy to convince himself that every boy he fell for could have been a girl, and so on, right throughout his life. It wasn't vagueness, still less imprecision, but the feeling, recorded with exactness, of being fascinated with the heart's potential, of what hadn't happened, quite, yet in his mind it had. Agatha the chauffeur with a long coat and red car, who drove him every day through Normandy at breakneck pace down Avenue of Poplars, when otherwise he would have left his bed, on average a little more than once a week. Agonistelli made him an explorer, in every sense, but especially in his thoughts. They reached back to his boyhood in Kayburg, and gave the driver's thrilling flare and dash to Albertine in her black jockey cap. Thus Albertine, who never did exist, though leading him a dance for half the book, obsessed him as a spirit he aspired to, yet made so real that she could break his heart. By loving others, lying all the time, she tortures him in every way save one. He doesn't care that she can't understand his writings. If she had, he airily concludes, as if the point were trivial, she would not have inspired them. Thus the real, enriched by the ideal, if not, indeed, created by it, gained, in Marcel's mind, firm outlines from the constant interplay of fact and wish. In fact, there is no wish that fails to touch upon our frailties. We, too, construct a paradise from longings, imposing dreams on history. You would swear, for instance, Proust and Monet were great friends from how the novel saloon walls seemed draped with pastel images of water lilies. Yet Proust and Monet never met, nor did we ever meet Proust though it might seem so by how he knows our souls when we are faced with failure failure to make sense out of the world. But even he died trying to do that. Thank you. And on to the commentary for three, The Porcelain Psychologist. Uh, Being a verse commentary, you can read Gates of Lilac in order, or you can just kind of dip into it and read sections, as I'm doing on this podcast. I've read the first section um, in an earlier podcast which was Origami of the Madeline which was I mean it's a good 
where they start, and then I kind of skipped the second one, which, in hindsight, three would have made much sense, much more sense if I had read two. But since I'm not going to do an entire podcast where I read Gate of Lilacs, it's much of a muchness. I may have said this when I read um, Origami of the Madeline. But what I really enjoy about this first commentary is I assume the ideal reader for this commentary is someone who's actually read Proust. And when you have read Proust and you've read all seven, you've read the whole book, you've read um, La Recherche de Tom's Perdu uh, in Search of Lost Time, you've read all seven volumes, you read Clyde James's uh, first commentary and you mostly agree with him. Um, you know, he captures so much of what makes Proust great to read. Um, And he captures so much of why people, a hundred years later, are still reading Proust, are still discovering Proust. Um, And what Clyde James does really well, that a lot of commentators seem to forget, is that there's Proust the novelist, and then there's the narrator, who, in Clive James's comment, verse commentary, he says Marcel. And that's how, in this poem, you kind of differentiate between Proust, the author, and Marcel, the narrator. And because he does that split so well, as a, reader, as a reader who's familiar with the book, you do get that very obvious sense of Proust as author, and then Marcel is this kind of narrator who, for all intents and purposes, is... The biggest difference is the narrator is heterosexual. Proust was very not heterosexual. Um, I don't know if gay is quite the word, just because Proust never, as far as anyone knows, never got with a guy, to put it crudely, in any way. Um, at all. And while I got a pause on psychologist was just the way that... Uh, James points out that kind of difference between, you know, Proust may not have ever dated a woman, he may not have ever made love to a woman, but he has this ability to, I think he calls him, and he says, there's an all-wise anatomist of love, even when, he, even when passion's victim. Proust has this amazing ability to display all these things. He may not have ever experienced himself, but he was so good at observing and and imagining that he was able to put it on the page better than most people who have experienced it. And I'm going to leave it, and no, I'm not going to leave it there. Um, even that, the end where it says, for instance, Proust and Monet were great friends from how the novel Saloon Wall seemed draped with pastel images of water lilies, yet Proust and Monet never met. It's this interesting idea that a lot of people do say that what the narrator is doing is actually Proust in real life, or they use um, in such a lost time as an autobiographical tool. And Clive James, throughout this first commentary, kind of points out that that's not a great way of reading in such a lost time because Proust did such a good job of distorting reality to give you a very different image and a very different picture of of what was going on and why things are going on and how things are going on.
that is it for me for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. As ever, I really appreciate your time. Thank you.